Hey guys, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, we are starting a new series called The Church. Hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church uh, in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And if you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. If you live or have or, or visit the Powell River region and you want to join us, we both we're a community that gathers both online but also in person. And so our services are on Sunday at 10 o'clock. And you can visit our website, myevangel.church, to learn more. But we're just so glad that you're here. Speaking of church, speaking of gatherings, uh, do you remember... March of 2020, do you remember the moment when our, uh, our BC government said, hey, we're suspending gatherings indefinitely? Now at that time, we were trying to be wise, we were trying to work out some things. We, we were in kind of, I, I know I hate the, the word, um, this idea of unprecedented, but in, in our lifetime, it was kind of an unprecedented moment. And we were trying to do the right thing. And, and I remember for me, I remember kind of weighing all this out as, as, a, as a pastor, as a, as a church leader, making some decisions for our community of faith. I remember kind of just dealing with wanting to walk in wisdom, wanting to be safe and make sure people are safe and, and honoring our neighbor and thinking of them above ourselves and all those kind of principles. But also, I began to really evaluate and reevaluate what, what is my understanding and theology of the church? What, what, what is the church? What are the non-negotiables? What, what do we need to um, absolutely be definitive on? And what do we, what we can be flexible with? I mean, part of this season in the last few years is we discovered that uh, though it's a, a very distant second best, we could gather online like this. And we could make it work for, for a moment, for a season, for the safety of others. But beyond that, I started thinking a lot about the church. Uh, the, the, the Greek word that is adopted by the apostles is ekklesia, the ekklesia, the assembly. And so today we're going to start a new series. It's going to be a six-week series that's going to take us through the church. Now, I, I want to preface this. This is not exhaustive. This will not be an exhaustive series because it's just too much. There's way too much to cover. We can, we can discover... Um, the church, the metaphors of the church, like the body. Paul loved to use the metaphor of the body of Christ. Um, you know, uh, some talked about the bride of Christ. So, so there's all these kind of components and pieces. So what we're going to try to do is define the church. We are going to uh, talk about the functions of the church, talk about what we, uh, our purposes are, what our mission is. So we're going to kind of discover what this community of faith we call the church is. So Let's, let's open in prayer, and then let's dive in. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you be with us, that Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide us in truth. Now, Lord, as we unpack the scriptures, as we unpack this idea of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just give us um, eyes to see what your word says about us as the bride, as the church, as the body. And Lord, would you, would you during this season and this discovery, would you lead and guide us in truth in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, let me warn you. So today is going to be a little more of a teaching kind of uh, style. Because we, we, what we need to do really is together as a community, 
We need to define terms and we need to understand some of our history. And so today is going to be fairly heavy in terms of content. We're going to move fairly fast. And so please be ready for that. If you're taking notes, um, pull out a notepad, pull out a pen, pull out your note app, whatever you do. And let's just kind of go along. So let's begin by defining terms and look at the history of the church. Now, ecclesia is the word in the Greek that the apostles chose and adopted in reference to the church. This is the word they used. Now, I say adopted because ecclesia is not a theological word. It is not a religious word. It was a common word of the Greek first century. And ecclesia literally meant assembly. It meant assembly. And so it was referencing in the Greek to mo more often than not the gathering of political assembly. And so dealing with political business at the polis in Athens, for instance, would have been an ecclesia. And so let me... Let me kind of give you some reasons that I think the apostles use this word. I mean, I, can I use the word commandeered? Commandeered this Greek word ekklesia to describe the church. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology says this. The New Testament word for church is ekklesia, which means the called out ones. In classical Greek, the term was used almost exclusively for political gatherings. In particular, in Athens, the word signified the assembling of the citizens for the purpose of conducting the affairs of the polis. Moreover, ecclesia referred only to the actual meeting, not to the citizens themselves. When the people were not assembled, they were not considered to be the ecclesia. Now, first... We kind of have to take a, a, an etymological understanding uh, tour of this word. And so to really understand it, the etymology is, is essentially the, the study of words and their meaning and their history and how they've changed over time. So when you study the word ecclesia as a word, you see this meaning emerge. Called out ones. Called out ones. And so that is the roots of this word ecclesia. Though it literally means assembly... And that's how it would have been called and, and used. It also, in a deeper measure, means called out ones. And, and I think that this could be part of the reason that the apostles adopted this word to describe the church. They, they would have had a, an understanding of the sacred and what was holy. So keep in mind, like sacred means set apart, right? Called out, set apart for the purposes of deity, for the purposes of God. So... Ecclesia, in this way, in this deeper meaning, actually does a very good job of describing and running parallel with this idea of called out once, holy, sacred, set apart for the purposes of God. Now keep in mind as we go that in your English Bible, it's going to say church. It's not going to say ecclesia. It's translated to church in our English language. The church is not simply, it's not simply a gathering of people. It is, it's more specifically a gathering of people who have been saved by grace through the work of Jesus. This is what ecclesia means in the Christian faith. 
Those who have been set apart, called out of the world and into his marvelous light. This is the ecclesia, the church. And yes, there are those that gather in church gatherings that are perhaps exploring faith and seeking faith. And we're so glad that, that you are a part of that. But definition of the church is those who have been called out, those who have said yes to Jesus and have walked in the salvation of their souls and are now entered into this thing called the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the called out ones. But I think that there's another reason that they adopted this word. It's more even maybe even more nuanced than this. Notice at the end of uh, that definition in the Evangelical Dictionary, it says, Moreover, ecclesia referred only to the actual meeting, not to the citizens themselves. When the people were not assembled, they were not considered to be the ecclesia. Now, I, I don't want to take this too literally, and I don't want to take this too far, but I do think that there is a theological understanding that says that I can't, compl I can't, I can't claim to be the church, me, myself. As an individual, I can't claim to be the church, right? You can't claim to be the church. Rather, there's this understanding that we collectively are the church. The ch church is not an individual thing. It is a collective. It is a community thing. Um, in a culture of hyper-individualism, uh, I think this theological understanding is so kind of important uh, because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's, it's about your neighbor. It's about your brother and your sister in Christ. Um, this past week, I was listening to a, a podcast and it was uh, the host was interviewing someone that had come out of the military and was back into civilian life. And this individual talked about the struggle of being a civilian after spending decades in the military. And he said that the West has leaned so much into individualism that he felt lost when he came back into civilian life because military life was all about the group. It was all about the collective. It was all about your troop. It was all about your, um, your chain of command and your, your uh, brothers and sisters in arms and and pursuing the mission, right? Like there's this, this, this idea of it's not about you, it's about the collective, it's about the mission, it's about your country. And so we call that service. And he said it was hard coming back into civilian life because there are very few places where you can find that anymore. But what I found interesting is as he listed a few different kind of segments of society, he mentioned the church. And I thought that that's really interesting that he would mention the church. And the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, you know what? In, the church is a, a unique kind of expression that's less about the individual and more about being together in unity as a body. As Christ Jesus is our cornerstone, as, as the head of the church, as the foundation of the church, uh, our purpose, right, has been spoken over us. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But I thought, yes, the church is a unique thing. Diverse people coming together in unity because of Jesus. And it's kind of, we are the church. Now, last time I preached about this, uh, we had just come out of COVID. And so if you want to go back and, and watch that, that's, that's fine. I, I kind of took a bit of a different direction with things of where I emphasized some things. 
Now, the last time I, I preached on the church was when we first kind of got back to gathering coming out of COVID. And so if you want to go back and watch that, I, I focused on this, but I'm going to, I felt it was like important that we do a quick little review of kind of some of the, the ways Ecclesia can be interpreted based on context. Now, because Ecclesia, the church, Ecclesia has two different meanings, assembly, like literal assembly, gathering of people, and this idea of called out ones, it can mean either of those things depending on the context in which you find it in scripture. So when you, when you see the Apostle Paul, for instance, talk about the church, you have to look at the context. What is he talking about? For instance, there are moments when the church is talked about in a global sense. So it's talking, it's leaning into that called out ones kind of component of that word ecclesia. The called out ones, those that have been saved by grace worldwide. And not just worldwide, but, but also across time since the beginning of the church. Those who have gone on to be with Jesus are still part of the church, right? So it's not talking about literal gathering because it's impossible to gather a global community of people. Um, so what we're talking about here is the called out ones. Uh, this also happens sometimes in scripture around regional kind of areas of the church where they're not talking about literal assembly. They're talking about the called out ones, those that are in Christ Jesus. However, there are some places where it's talking about and it's leaning into both called out ones, but also the assembly, the literal gathering of people. We would call this the local church. So Evangel Church, we are a local church in Powell River and we meet together literally weekly. And so that is the church in a local church sense. And so we need to understand this as we kind of define terms and talk about what is the church. Now, for much of the series to come, we're going to be leaning into the local church. Uh, function, expression, uh, pursuits, priorities, what unites us, like all those things. We're going to be talking about the, the local church because we want this to be practical and functional for each of us. Now, Let's switch gears. I told you we're going to, it's a whirlwind, guys. Just bear with us. We, we, we have to take this journey to really set the foundations for the rest of this series. Let's look at the history of the church. L let me ask you, what is the foundation of the church? I alluded it to a little bit earlier, but what is the foundation of the church? During uh, Jesus' ministry, we see this moment with the disciples in uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 and 19. I'm going to read it now. It'll pop up on the screen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." I want you to, if, if, you, if you're comfortable underlining in your Bible, um, which I think is a great practice, underline, upon this rock, I will build my church. What does he mean? What does Jesus mean here? Now, 
Some, uh, some traditions, Christian traditions, have inferred this to mean that upon Peter himself, because Peter, he kind of changes his name from Simon Barjona to Peter here in this moment. And Peter means stone or rock. And so some have inferred that I will build my rock upon Peter himself. But our understanding in our tradition is, is less about one of papacy or um, kind of a line of popes, if you will, God's representatives on earth in, in a leadership role, but, but it's rather one of revelation. We would say that there's a revelation that was given to Peter in this moment, and that is the foundation on which the church is built. In this moment, Peter receives a revelation from God that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah they've been waiting for. So it's, it's this revelation. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God. And it's this revelation that we've been waiting for. And it's this revelation in which the church is built. You know, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you had a revelation of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, he was revealed to you by the Spirit as God. And you said yes to accepting him into your heart and your life and to change your life, to change the trajectory and the way in which you live your life in this world, you became a building block in what we would call the church. You became a living stone that became part of the building of the church. So in terms of our history, we understand that the church is, is built upon Jesus Christ himself. He is our foundation. We understand that when we say yes to him, when we have a revelation of Jesus, that, that foundation component, we've been invited into the church as a, as a living stone to be a part of this building of the church over, over time. But our understanding of the fullness of what this means, it takes us also to the teachings of the apostles. And so when we talk about foundations, when we talk about um, understanding the church, understanding our function, understanding our theology, our doctrines, our... Um, our priorities, all of those pieces, they come from the teachings of Christ, the revelation of the Old Testament in light of Jesus, but also the teachings of the apostles. If you look at church history, we see that the first century of Christianity was kind of like the Wild West. There was, there was so much going on. There was so much of... Um, Leaders trying to fill vacuums, uh, teachers coming in and trying to kind of teach their own thing. Uh, we saw the rise of like the Gnostic kind of belief system, which we would say was, was heretical, was actually contrary to the teachings of Jesus. And so much of the first century, the apostles, especially Paul, I mean, he wrote so many letters and epistles that essentially were trying to bring correction and guidance to the church. In other words, he wanted to formalize the belief structure, the worldview of the church in light of Jesus, in light of the Old Testament, in light of his understanding of the Messiah and what was happening, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the first century was messy. It was so messy. And the, the apostles found themselves seeing the need to organize. Now, it's funny because often we see this idea that um, organized religion is, is somehow inherently bad. And I don't think that's the case. I think we need to live in the tension of 
kind of organic, the organic organism that is the body of Christ, but also uh, the need for organization. We kind of, we need to live in the tension of those two things. It's not either or, it's both and. And so in the first century, we saw the Jerusalem council became a thing. It was led by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so they would take on cases and things that happen. We see that actually in scripture where Paul and Barnabas come to him and say, hey, here's what's happening with the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus is doing some stuff and the Holy Spirit's filling them with the Spirit and all this stuff's happening. And it was there that they decided, yes, this is right. This is good. This is what Christ would have. And so we had this organization. But beyond that, we also saw the apostles were so in need of teaching and guiding the early church that they needed to create deacons. And so they created these deacons that were then set over the logistics and the function of the church. So the logistics were being taken care of by deacons. So the apostles could really concentrate on teaching and writing and hearing the voice of God for the building of this thing called the church. So this is the history. This is what's happening. Now, perhaps you'll, you'll be surprised to learn that the Bible that we have today, this collection of books that we have today, was actually not fully established until the Council of Hippo in AD 393. 393 years after the coming of Christ, we finally had the canon, the collection of books and writings that we would consider inspired by the Holy Spirit, accurate and consistent. And so... This is like much further after, but there was such a need to organize. And, and why do I bring this up? Well, we need to understand that the foundational teachings and definitions of the church have already been set up. We need to get this. They have been painstakingly established by the church. Those guided by the Holy Spirit and put in positions of authority. We would, we would call first and foremost the apostles. And then some of the leaders going into the third century that helped solidify our canon of our scriptures. This is so important to understand because we find in that the, the, the mission of the church. We find the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, they, he writes, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's where we see this teaching, the purpose, the, 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 the purpose of the church. We, we see the attitude and the spirit in which we're to pursue this purpose. In, in Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus is recorded as saying, Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So guys, when it comes to the church, when it comes to our function, when it comes to our pursuits, when it comes to the revelation that defines us and gives us purpose and unites us, that has already been painstakingly established. When, when scripture references the teachings of the apostles, it's not talking about apostles today. It's talking about the apostles. The revelation of scripture 
to the apostles. Not to, not to us, not today. There is no new revelation for the church beyond what's already been established. I want you to hear this very clearly because we have, we, we live in an age and a time where we can gather teachers and we can access teaching from all over the globe and all sorts of stuff. But I, here's the deal. Here's a filter for you. If anyone tells you that they have an apostolic authority to bring new revelation to the church, can I just suggest run away? Now, if you're, in a, if you're in a position where you can bring in relationship correction to that individual, then bring correction to the best of your ability in grace. But if you can't, run away and bring as many people with you as you can. The church, the teachings, the foundations have already been established. So what is the church? It is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the collection of those who have had a revelation of Jesus as the Christ and have said yes to his invitation. It's both the global and local body of Christ who share a common purpose. Now, I want to close by reading um, a creed that was established roughly the 5th century. And this, this essentially encapsulates nothing, nothing has changed. Friends, we live in 2023. Nothing has changed since those moments when the canon was established, when the apostles brought teaching to us and revelation of what this all meant. Nothing has changed. Let me read this to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, by the way, Catholic there means universal. It means the global church, the global ecclesia the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So as we continue in this series, we need to understand that these foundations have already been set. The foundations of the church are found in the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God. It's found in these beliefs, and it hasn't changed, and it won't change. And so, I just wanted to take some time to kind of establish, define some terms so we're all tracking in this series from the same place. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have established your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Lord, you are the cornerstone. You are the foundation and Lord, you are the head of the body. Lord, you are, you are all in all. And so God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your bride, the body of Christ, this, this collection of imperfect human beings that have said yes to salvation and yes to your lordship and yes to rewiring the pursuits of their lives as they seek to, to, to walk out kingdom purposes. And so Lord, I thank you that you are with us, that you will guide us through this season as we establish what is the church, 
Why do we function? How do we function? What are we pursuing? Lord, lead and guide us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it is the first Sunday of the month, and first Sunday here at Evangel, we always partake in communion together. And so if you want to, if you've given your life to Jesus and you want to participate with us, grab whatever you can in terms of uh, things that can re symbolically represent the blood of Christ and the bread, right? The living bread. Um, and you can partake in communion with us. I'm just going to turn it over to Pastor Marcus. Well, friends, we're gonna to join together in communion. So if you haven't grabbed any elements uh, in your home, feel free to pause this video, grab those and come back and hit play. Um, you can grab whatever is in your house that's juice or cracker-y, um, even if it's bread or something different. Uh, it's not necessarily about what you're taking as communion, but more about the element of remembering. Now, I wanna uh, just share with you from Psalm chapter 23, because I think it's just such an interesting picture that we get to see with communion. It says in Psalm chapter 23, verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, communion is one of those beautiful moments of remembrance for the church of uh, Jesus, that he is the head over. And the first communion happened also at a table, and it had the elements, of course, of the bread being broken and the cup as well. Um, but I love that part of the psalm because it says, my cup overflows. And our cup overflows uh, with goodness and mercy uh, that we can't contain for ourselves. And communion is one of those moments of remembering that Jesus, while he lived his earthly ministry and life here on earth amongst us, he was the one who poured out his cup. Now, pouring that cup out was in his death uh, and in his sacrifice on that cross um, and in his resurrection. And so communion is such a great reminder, at least for me, that our cup overflows with the goodness and mercy of Jesus because Jesus first poured out his cup, the cup that is often called the cup of suffering, so that we can experience that ourselves. And so it's a moment for us to remember that cup being poured out uh, of suffering and of pain and of death, but also of resurrection, so that we can be filled, so that our cup doesn't have to be filled with suffering and pain and death that lasts for an eternity, but it can be the one that overflows with goodness and mercy that will follow us all the days of our lives. And that's what communion reminds us of, is that we didn't earn that, we didn't do that on our own merit, but Jesus in pouring out his cup actually filled ours not with suffering and not with pain and not with death, but with goodness and mercy and life everlasting. And so as we join together in the communion elements, let's remember that, that we can overflow as a result of Jesus filling us, not just to the brim, but so that it can flow over in our lives, but to those who are near us to see the goodness and mercy of Jesus as well. And so I just wanted to share that Psalm with you, but let's turn to uh, the, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, that talks about communion here. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the body together. It goes on to say, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you drink this bread, or eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. What I love about communion is that it does look back to that sacrifice that Jesus made and the goodness and mercy that follows us then, but it also looks forward to that time that we banquet with him in eternity, where we have that same meal together with him reunited in heaven. And so it's both a looking back and a looking forward with hope and anticipation for one day when we meet the one who is goodness and the one who is mercy. And so let's pray together. Well, God, we thank you so much uh, for moments like this of remembering. Jesus, we thank you as we remember that you poured out your cup, that you poured yourself out um, in your life that is was perfect here on earth, in your death, in your sacrifice for us, the perfect sacrifice uh, for our sins, and that Jesus, you would go so far as to pour yourself fully out for each one of us so that we can be filled, so that our cup can overflow with goodness and mercy. What an incredible gift that you didn't have to do for us, and yet you chose to do it out of love for your people and for humanity. So Jesus, I pray that we would look back at that incredible pouring out of the cup of suffering so that we can be filled in, with overflowing, not, not in that same suffering that will last uh, as a result of sin, but goodness and mercy. And God, I pray that we would also look forward to that moment where we get to sit at that banqueting table with you again, where we will sit around that table uh, in eternity with you when we meet you, Jesus, in perfection, free from the bonds of this world, where we can see you as goodness and mercy. What an incredible hope for us today that in the midst of challenge, in the midst of trial, in the midst of maybe momentary suffering, that we see that our cup can still overflow with goodness and mercy in spite of that because you have given that as a gift and not as something that we earn. And so Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this bread and for this cup, for what it reminds us of and what it also helps propel us forward to. Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining together uh, online and as we do this on Sunday morning in person as well in communion. We hope you have a great rest of your day.